The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up the children of his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In their resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. I'm happy to be with you again on this Sunday morning. It's been a while. Tomorrow is a holiday for remembrance. So we remember today as well. How many veterans are there here today? I know that some of the veterans were not able to be here this weekend. Several. If, if you're able, since you stood at one point to swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies foreign and domestic, would you stand now so that we may express our thanks to you for your selfless service? And would you remain standing? I'd I'd like to to pray for you also. Father in heaven, we acknowledge you as the author of our liberty, personal and national, the provider of all that we need. It is proper that we honor those who are your instruments for our provision, protection, instruction, and freedom. With this soberly in mind, we ask your blessing of peace upon those who have served in the armed forces of the United States of America, in particular upon those who stand among us now. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. We had a a good introduction to that remembrance with the the bell choir and and with Daryl's post or prelude as well, Uh, particularly the early service this morning. I enjoy the, the songs that remind us of the heritage that we have in this nation, a common union. Military service, however, is not for everyone. And not all of the disturbing experiences that a person might encounter in the military actually come from combat with the enemy. This was reported to me as a true story. A recruit recruit by the name of Jeff was in the bathroom brushing his teeth when his squad leader barged in holding a toothbrush with which he proceeded to scrub underneath the rim of a toilet. What are you doing, Jeff asked. Hazing the new guy, he replied with a grin. You do know that he could get really sick from the bacteria on that toilet. You didn't. (laughs) 
We who have not served in the military probably can't know exactly what the rigors of that service meant to each person who did. It doesn't matter because we are sincere in our appreciation, even if we are perhaps uninformed about what that means. Just like little children, I don't know if you all heard it, but during the children's time, um, when she asked about the holidays and someone said Thanksgiving and then one of the little boys spoke up and said, Veterinary is Day. <laughs> Pretty close. Heart was in the right place. There were a lot of children who were asked to, to write um, letters to servicemen overseas and, and some of those went along these lines. Dear soldier, if you're having a rough day, remember that the most important thing in life is to be yourself. Unless you can be Batman. Dear veterans, you rock more than ACDC or Metallica or Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm so happy that you are risking your life for the USA. My grandpa Bob was in the Navy. Now he likes peanuts. (laughs) Kids, right? A couple of chapters before the New Testament passage that Lynn read this morning, Jesus was surrounded by children of all ages. The parents were bringing their children to Jesus for him to bless them. The disciples, thinking that there was adult work in process here, tried to stop them. But Jesus put a stop to that, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about how clueless children can be when he said that. I wonder if anyone really has a clue about coming to God when it comes to that, what it really means. I know that the the disciples certainly didn't. I didn't. When I first came to Christ, I only knew that I needed someone who could set things right. And I wanted to belong to him. I didn't know all that would be involved as I walked with him in faith. The disciples who walked with Jesus on this earth, in his physical presence, and were privately instructed about all the mysteries of the kingdom while Jesus spoke to the the crowds in parables, they didn't get it either. Completely inadvertently and and with the best of intentions, they were constantly working at cross-purposes to his aims and his values. There was the time when um, some Samaritans in a particular village didn't want Jesus to come there because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And there was contention between the Pharisees, I mean, excuse me, between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, So the disciples said, well, do you want us to call down fire on them? They were convinced that Jesus had the power, but they didn't understand the heart that Jesus had. They didn't understand his values. In the same way, Simon Peter, uh, right after his, his confession, his great confession that Jesus Christ, you, know, you are the Son of God, the Messiah. Shortly after that, he was saying, oh, but don't talk like you have to die. No, that won't happen. And Jesus had to rebuke him and said, get behind me, Satan. You remember those things? The disciples, although they were with him, and he constantly was explaining to them what was going to happen, that he would suffer and die. They didn't get that. And they, they kept puzzling about it. I wonder if we're really that much different. 
So many of the people who came to Jesus throughout his earthly career kind of show the same thing. There were so many people that came to Jesus for their own needs, to be healed, to be delivered. And they were healed or delivered. Whatever they needed, Jesus supplied. And yet, there was something more that Jesus embodied right in front of them that they didn't understand and they didn't ask for. They didn't know to ask and receive that. There was a woman by a well in Samaria, another town in Samaria, a different town. And Jesus was on a journey, so he and his disciples stopped there and they went into town to get something to eat. And this woman came out kind of at the wrong time of the day and all by herself, which was not really normal, to draw water. And Jesus, sitting there, asked her for a drink. And she was surprised. So you, a Jewish man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And he said, woman, if you knew who was asking this of you, who was talking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. She replied, how would you get that? You don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. And Jesus said, anyone who drinks from this well will thirst again. Anyone who drinks of the water that I give will find that it wells up in him a spring of living water to eternal life. She didn't understand what he meant, but that didn't stop Jesus from meeting her. And through that process of, of discovery, where he asked her questions and she realized that there was something more going on, and then she would ask a new question, and then he would invite her into a deeper understanding of who he was, she came to faith in him. And many people in that town did. There was another occasion um, when Jesus fed 5,000 people miraculously from a few loaves and a few fish. All of those people were deeply impressed with his power, but they didn't understand who he was or what he was about. And so those people saw Jesus dismiss his disciples, and the disciples began to row across the lake. And then Jesus dismissed the crowd. They didn't see where Jesus went after that. He went off by himself to pray. Well, later the next morning, uh, some other boats came, and so those people who were interested in, in getting more of what they felt they needed from Jesus followed his disciples across the lake, and when they got across the lake, they found Jesus already there. Well, you probably remember the story about what happened in between. The storm came up, the wind came up, and, and Jesus walked across the water and met his disciples. But Jesus doesn't say anything about that to these crowds that are coming to them. Instead, he confronts them with the fact that their only interest in coming to him is to have their needs met, the needs that they have defined for themselves, not the needs that he already knows about and took care of on the previous day by feeding them miraculously, but they want to be able to control what they know they need. And that's why they're coming to him. He explains to them that he could give them living bread and, and the bread of life. And so they say, yes, yes, give us this bread of life so that we won't be hungry again. Give us this always. And Jesus, when he starts to invite them in further, they, they hold back, they stop. Because he shows them that he is the bread of life. And that they will have to eat his body to drink his blood to share eternal life with him. 
And that's just too strange. They didn't understand what he meant by what he said, and they didn't even want to find out what he meant by what he said. They pulled away, and all those people who had been following him in crowds, they all left in crowds. They walked away from him, to the point that Jesus asked his own disciples, those who were close to him, do you want to leave too? And they said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this is the man who attracted so much attention, who helped so many people, that the eyes of the whole nation were upon him. And of course, that brought the attention of the leaders. And the leaders of the Jews had to figure out what they were going to do with him too. Now the Pharisees, who are a very conservative sect in in the Jewish nation, in the Jewish religion, uh, came to Jesus and they asked him a question also. But what they asked of him was really trying to get him in trouble. They asked him a question about taxes. They asked him, well, teacher, since you're good and you always teach what is true and right and you don't respect any person for their position, um, is it right for us Jews to pay the Roman tax or not? Now, they thought that they could get him in trouble because if he says, no, Jews shouldn't have to pay the Roman tax, then they can inform on him to the Romans. And the Romans would likely arrest him, take him out of the way. But if he says, yes, you're supposed to pay taxes, then all the Jews who really resented that are going to be upset with him, and he'll instantly stop being popular, no longer a problem to these Jewish leaders. But Jesus, when he answered them, he confronted their misunderstanding and their, their bad hearts as well. See, they had this very narrow view of what God was up to. And all the Jews resented the Romans because they felt that that was an imposition on God's will. That that's not the way God wanted it. Well, God had allowed the Romans at this time to dominate the Jewish nation, but the Jews mostly didn't accept that. So Jesus confronted their narrow-minded nationalism and showed the difference between that and genuine faith in God by saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. You guys probably remember that story. Then it was the Pharisees' political opposition who asked the question that we covered today. They, the Sadducees, um, were at that time in charge of most of the high offices of the Jewish religion. The high priest was the Sadducee, and, and they were very influential. They tended to be educated, sophisticated, generally wealthy, and they had the positions of power pretty well tied up. They also did not believe in the supernatural. For them, the Word of God explained, perhaps wise, perhaps divinely wise, principles for living. But in their view, that did not require God's help. It only required human intelligence and diligence to figure out good ways of dealing with circumstances that came up and then doing it. They ridiculed the Pharisees for believing in angels and in the resurrection. That kind of pie-in-the-sky stuff just takes people's attention away from the hard work that we ought to be about 
to make things turn out the way they should would have been their perspective. And so they had a, a favorite question that they liked to ask Pharisees because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and in fact they had a whole view of how things were going to work out in the resurrection. And in their view, when we die here, then we're going to be resurrected in God's presence and things are going to be just like they are now, except better. We'll still have our own, the same physical nature, same desires, same needs, and maybe same capabilities, but everything will work right. Everything will be just like we always thought it could be. That was their view of the resurrection. And so, to them, the question of who's going to be married to whom in the resurrection, which is going to last for eternity, is a very important question. So the Sadducees had come up with this hypothetical situation that showed a weakness in how the Pharisees viewed the resurrection, and it had stumped the Pharisees. Well, with all the talk of Jesus surrounding these miracles and these things that he had done, and and the Sadducees not really believing in anything supernatural, the Sadducees were pretty sure that Jesus was probably pretty close in doctrine to the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus had said things like, do what the Pharisees do. I mean, excuse me, do what the Pharisees say. Don't do what the Pharisees do. And so the Sadducees were pretty sure that they'd be able to put Jesus in an uncomfortable situation. And it had worked with Pharisees before, and it allowed them to show that the Pharisees were uncomfortable with the question and kind of him and haw around it. And then they would feel intellectually superior, and they wanted to do that with Jesus too. Now, Before we get to how Jesus dealt with the Sadducees, I think it's interesting that for us today, there's kind of an obvious question. Even if the Pharisees were right about what the resurrection was supposed to look like, that did not occur to either the Pharisees or to the Sadducees. It just wasn't on the radar in those days. And that is, if this woman was married to seven different guys, and then they are going to be married in the resurrection... Why doesn't it come down to lady's choice? Right? Ask her which brother she wants to be married to. That question never occurred to them because it was such a male-centric society. All of the power and influence was in the hands of the men. And so what the woman thought about it really is not an issue to them. It doesn't create any answers or, or problems. So Jesus doesn't even deal with that. When Jesus addresses the Sadducees, he goes straight to the heart of their own unbelief. And he says, it's because you don't know either the power of God or the scriptures that you view this as a problem. And there is a resurrection. He clearly and emphatically affirmed that there was a resurrection, that God is the God of the living, not God of the dead. Of course, that took the wind out of the sails of the Sadducees, exposed them for who they were. But then there's no record of them asking for further illumination, for taking that next step and seeing that he was not only full of God's power, but full of God's wisdom and grace. They didn't take the next step of asking him for help, of asking him to explain to them how to live. There's another confrontation that I want you to remember. Actually, there's a bunch of them that I just want to refer to, and I'm sure that these are stories that are in your mind. Think of all the crazy things that Jesus said. 
things like when there's a paralytic lowered down in front of him in this room where the friends of the paralytic uh, opened up the roof and lowered this guy down on a pallet right in front of Jesus because they couldn't get through the door. And Jesus, looking at this guy on the pallet, first of all says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says something that's even crazier. He tells this guy, get up, take your bed and go out. Now, who would say that? What kind of unfeeling, unthinking, crazy person would say that to a paralytic? But when Jesus said that, the paralytic received power to obey. There was another occasion where a lame man had, was waiting to get into the pool of Siloam uh, to, to be healed, and he couldn't because anybody else who wanted healing would get in ahead of him. Uh, but that's... The main point is that Jesus came up and saw this guy and said, do you want to be healed? And the guy explained his problem, how he couldn't get into the pool, and that obviously was not a problem for Jesus. And Jesus said, get up, roll up your bed, and go home. Now that was on the Sabbath, and that guy got in trouble for carrying his bed home, his, his little pallet roll, and that got Jesus in trouble too. But the point is that when Jesus spoke, that man who believed received the power to obey. So there's this one other instance that's kind of like that that I wanted to point out. Well, first of all, there's an even greater one where, and I think is is a dramatic example of of crazy talk on Jesus' part. Jesus, with, with his disciples, is going to this small village called Nain, and coming out of the village is a funeral procession where this woman's only son has died, a young man. He would be the prop of her old age, the support of her life. And he's died, and they're carrying him out to bury him. And Jesus meets the funeral party, and he says to the woman, don't cry. Well, who can say that to a grieving mother? And then Jesus speaks to the young man who's dead, to the dead body, and he says, young man, I tell you, get up. Who does that at a funeral? And yet when Jesus spoke, that young man did get up. So, the, the, the one I, I want to draw your attention to now is this confrontation with, with the woman who was caught in adultery. She was led to Jesus by the Jewish authorities. And they're still trying, instead of trying to to learn who he is and receive from him, they're still trying to trap him and trick him. And so they bring this woman, and notice again, they bring the woman. They don't bring a man, but there was a man involved somewhere for her to be caught in adultery. And they bring this woman to Jesus and say, Moses says that we're supposed to stone anyone who's caught in adultery. What do you say? Because if Jesus says stone her, then he's going to be in trouble with the Romans who have taken away the Jewish nation's right to implement capital punishment. And because of their hardness of heart, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe that's what God had specifically ordained. But aside from all that, Jesus doesn't respond to their question. He doesn't say, no, don't kill her, or yes, do. He just stoops down and begins to write in the dirt. 
You guys have heard this story before. And one by one, her accusers start leaving. It would be very interesting to know what Jesus wrote. But we only know the result. They all left. And when they had gone, Jesus looks up at that woman who was caught in adultery and says, Is there no one to condemn you? And she says, No one, Lord. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Now, how do you hear that statement of Jesus? Do you hear that as Jesus saying, Look, I got rid of them. I'm letting you off this time. But don't let it happen again with this implied or else. Is that how you hear that? Or do you hear it in the same way that Jesus spoke to the paralytic or to the lame man or to the dead man? When she heard those words, did she receive power to obey? I think perhaps she did. I think perhaps we can. One of our problems that we confront every day in all of the trials of our life is are we truly willing to believe in the goodness and the power of God? in the goodness and the power of God as it applies to our lives right here and now. And sometime throughout the week ahead, you'll have the opportunity to address that question. And you'll have the opportunity because of the Holy Spirit who indwells all who believe in Jesus Christ, you'll have the opportunity to ask in Jesus' name and to listen for His voice for listen for, to listen for his words through the Holy Spirit. And if you will listen, if you will hear and believe, you'll be given power to obey whatever he says to do. And then the whole world will see his kingdom manifest in a new way in your life. And maybe the whole world won't see what happens to you this week, but you'll be changed by it. And eventually they will see that. And people who meet you in business, by the wayside, wherever you might be in life, even at a medical appointment, people will see that there's something different about you. And Jesus Christ will be glorified and his kingdom will be extended that much. May you walk this week in his peace.
Thank you for being here this morning. May you go throughout this week with the peace of Jesus Christ welling up in your heart, with it welling up as a spring of living water that not only irrigates your own soul, but gives life to those around you through the grace that he pours into you and from you into others. Go in peace. listening to this podcast of the First United Methodist Church in Turlock, California. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. For more information about our church, visit www.fumcturlock or call the church at 209-668-3000. Visitors are always welcome. And now, may the peace of the Lord dwell in your hearts this day. And may God bless you.